so, you know, skipping forward when he's kind of revisiting Marx's question, asking how the form of circulation is possible, where you are, where you have M, C, M prime, what, what, what are the necessary components uh, to think about how money is circulating in the economy, to think about how capital is circulating and commodities are circulating? And he writes that the well-known answer to this is that such a situation requires the existence of a commodity whose very consumption is a source of value. In other words, that labor power is available on the market. And since the consumption of labor power is labor itself, Marx can thereby derive capitalist production from capital as a form of circulation. The availability of labor power in the market presupposes, as we saw in last chapter, the creation of the proletarian life cut off from its conditions. And so simple circulation ends up being this place, as you know, Marx goes on to write, an abstract sphere of the bourgeois process of production as a whole, which through its own determination shows itself to be a moment, a mere form of appearance of some deeper process lying behind it, even resulting from it and producing it industrial capital. And this goes back to the theory of value um, from which Marx's analysis of these relations between these between units of production springs from, right? That they organize themselves internally such in a way where surplus value is produced, but it is produced off the exploitation of wage labor. Another way to think of that is that you're taking the units of production, you're taking these workers and you're separating them. And you're separating them from the immediate producers and the means of production on the, on the vertical level, or that you can have the horizontal relations that are presupposing the vertical relations that we talked about in chapter six. And so if you follow through with this kind of formulation, you cannot have class without value, right? Because the value is generated from the exploitation of laborers who are pre-configured or internally organized in such a way that they are creating and reproducing the class. And so class domination is integral and class is integral to value as value is to class and class domination is integral to the commodity form. So you cannot escape you cannot create a theory of value that ignores how, how integral value is or integral classes. And that this class reductionism ends up focusing on uh, other elements or other types of domination, um, but losing sight of why it is that capitalists have the relations that they do with each other and with proletarians, right, in favor of other um articulations that don't as cleanly explain and link back to those observations about the nature of value. And from here, right, the effort then to bring back class in, in the next section, right, where he kind of talks then about Werner Bonefield and his work in Postone, um, in the work of Postone and the new Mark Lecure, lecture. Sure. <laughs> now you're trying to speak German, and I can't. I can't really help you here. <laughs> yeah, neither of us are. Um, yeah, we'll we'll say that if you're German, you can yell at us in German. It's okay. Um, and <laughs> but and only here, in German. You can yeah, only no, yell at us in German. <laughs> I don't want to hear it in English. I don't. <laughs> and then, um, so Bonefield Mao writes. 
acknowledges that a class of laborers with no independent access to the means of substance is the fundamental premise of capitalist social relations. But that Bonefeld has a strange understanding of class where he subsumes class relations uh, under the, quote, fetishistic inversions of social relations, as when he argues that at best, at its best, Marx's critique of political economy does not amount to a social theory of class. It amounts rather to a critique of capital as a social relations relationship between persons, which is mediated through things. And so Bonerfield, uh, as pointed out by Mao, kind of focuses on, and this becomes important in understanding the way in which even when class is brought in, some people think of it by rhetoric that focuses on inversion, on perversion, reification, madness, absurdity, mystification, monstrosity, and irrationality, puzzling, occult, enchanted, topsy-turvy, right? Enough He's about Bill Ackman, though. <laughs> <laughs> no more. Yeah, no. Yeah, we're not going to talk about Bill Ackman or his or his wife. I'm sure though they they would have a fun time with this text. Um, but you know, these are all ways that. You can you you can words. He would have a fun time with this text because I also saw that Bill Ackman's daughter became a Marxist when she was at Harvard. Like <laughs> she wrote her thesis oh, wow. about about uh, like conceptions of solidarity and Marxism or something like that, and like posted uh, on Facebook this picture of like an antique. Uh, like uh, addition of capital that she bought and stuff. And so she actually became, so she became this, like in her own words, a cliche Marxist at college. Um, and so I do, I do think that it really is all just projection. I do think that's part of Bill Ackman's like whole fucking war with Harvard um, is part of like, he saw the wokeness of Harvard capture his own daughter and literally turn her into a Marxist. I love that. I love that. That's the, yeah. Yeah. Uh, handle put, get your house in order before you start melting down on Twitter. My guy. <laughs> or so, read some Marx. So- so he projected at Harvard about his daughter, and now he's projecting at MIT about his wife. Uh, like he's using all the women in his life to uh, as like these <laughs> the, these these fucking scapegoats to justify his uh, his like holy crusade against wokeness. It's really Amazing. there's just a lot of fucking psychology happening here. 